I was labeled as rebellious when in reality, I just had so many physical and mental needs that were not being met. I was a kid screaming for help and nobody was listening to me. Hey y'all, thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur Podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it. Hello. Thanks for agreeing to hop on with me. I know we've talked a little bit, but um, do you want to start out by introducing yourself for everybody who doesn't know you? Yes, sorry. Um, I am Alex. I am Kiri's cousin. We are seven years apart and actually share the same birthday. Mm-hmm. So birthday twins yeah we've been birthday twins um yeah it's so crazy to think that we're birthday twins right I guess it was bound to happen when you have like you know a hundred cousins one of us had to be born on the same day (laughs) (laughs) no kidding and I actually don't think we're the only cousins that share a birthday anymore yeah there's so many of us (laughs) grandma had 10 kids by herself and then, you know, each kid had between, you know, two to five children. So, yeah, you know, there's only so many months of days. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of us in our family, if you can't tell. Oh. But uh, <laughs> Alex and I kind of grew up together because luckily, like, we both were in Evanston, which is where we grew up together. So, we got to know each other at least a little bit that way, considering, you know, a lot of the cousins we didn't really see very much, so. Exactly. Most of our cousins were, you know, in Star Valley, and some of them were even, you know, in St. George, Utah. So mm-hmm. for the majority of the time, the only cousins we got to hang out with regularly were you guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Aunt Candy would babysit us all the time. We'd come spend weekends over. We'd take the bus home from school with you guys. Like, we grew up more like siblings than cousins sometimes. Yeah, really. Which is a nice thing about, like, growing up in a pretty tight-knit family, though. It's like, you know, you just get extra siblings sometimes. Exactly. And I already had plenty of siblings. I actually have five siblings. I have two sisters and three brothers. I am the youngest of, or second youngest of five. Youngest sister. Yeah, um, I'm the youngest sister, um, but it's crazy to think. I actually just found out that I have another sister last month. Her name is Sarah, um, and I love her. I didn't know that she was my sister. It's always been speculation, but we found out that she is for sure my sister. So now I get another sibling. Cool. Gotta love it. <laughs> More family yeah. love on your kids, right? Oh, and Exactly. Everybody just loves my kids and they're so cute and everybody's always like, oh, they look so much like you. And I'm like, well, I did most of the work, so they should look like me. You better look like me, right? No kidding. (laughs) Well, and it's kind of funny because we both found out that we were pregnant with our kids almost at the same time too. Yeah, I think 
Samantha and Harrison are only, what, one or two months apart, if that? Uh, Harrison was born in October. When was Sammy born? July 10th. July. He was born so, six okay. days before our birthday. Yeah, but we found out that we were pregnant at about the same time. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't find out I was pregnant with Samantha until 20 weeks along. So that yeah. was terrifying. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, like that whole experience because that was all just wild <laughs> that was so crazy uh, for everybody not yeah. just myself because okay so I was 14 when I had Samantha I had her six days exactly before I turned 15 um oh boy this is such a huge ball game to get into um so I was a freshman in high school and Samantha's dad and Tyler's dad he was a senior at the same high school at that time and I I don't want to say any names um but we had become very close friends and very close like you know what I mean um and I had gotten pregnant that November um and I didn't find out until the following March that I was pregnant um, because I had a lot of issues with my cycle so it was normal for me to be late and stuff like that um, but then I did find out um, at 20 weeks and I found out that same day that we were having a girl and honestly I am so thankful for my mother at this time point because not only was my mom so supportive and she didn't like belittle me scream at me like tell me to get rid of Samantha anything like that she took it as this baby is a blessing you know and we got home my mom took me to this appointment by the way we got home and I told my dad expecting my dad to just blow a fuse and he did it actually both of my parents were so supportive in this time frame and me being only 14 I'd I barely knew how to take care of myself, let alone another human being. So I was terrified. And so I messaged the dad and I was like, hey, do you remember when I asked you to get me a pregnancy test and it was negative? Well, this picture right here is our negative pregnancy test. And so him and his parents came over for dinner and we talked about things, talked about what we were going to do. And um, I guess it just kind of went on from there. Um, I had her three weeks um, early. I had her at 37 weeks. She was healthy. And it all just kind of went downhill from there. Um, because I was 14 and so young, I, and I didn't really have a healthy relationship role model for me, from my parents, I didn't know what was okay and what was not okay in a relationship. I didn't know what was healthy and what wasn't healthy. He was very, not only emotionally abusive, but sometimes physically and very sexually abusive. When Samantha was only a few months old, he had already raped me multiple times by that point. And actually Tyler, my son is born from me being raped. Um, and it just, I was with their dad for almost three years on and off. 
um, and he had raped me, sexually assaulted me multiple times. Um, he accused me of cheating on him multiple times, and he would go through my phone constantly, constantly check my location on social media, and he would throw my phones and break my phones when he couldn't find anything, um, accusing me of deleting it all, and stuff like that. Um, I, I had left him multiple times during our three-year relationship, but then, you know, I always went back to him because I was afraid that, like, the lawyers, whatever, the justice system would see that I am so young, they would give custody of my children to the dad because of that fact. So I kept going back to him only because I was terrified of losing my kids or not being able to see my kids every day. Mm -hmm. And I guess the breaking point that I finally realized I need to get out of this was like, I would talk to some of my coworkers about my relationship and they would just give me like the most terrified looks and be like, dude, that is not normal. Like, what are you still doing there? Like, I don't know why you're still dealing with him. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just terrified that I won't see my kids every day. And my coworkers were the ones who really pulled my head out of my butt and was like, look at me and listen to me right now. Your kids need to see a happy, healthy mom. Like, you can, the judge will do everything and lawyers will do everything to help you get at least 50-50 custody. There's no reason for you to still be with this man, especially with how he's treating you and how he's treating you in front of your children. That's not healthy. That's not safe for them. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, we had been broken up and we were still living together in our same apartment. And he went to Rock Springs to hang out with friends for a night and I was home with the kids. And we had gotten in such a bad argument and he was screaming at me, belittling me, calling me a cheating whore on the phone. And I finally just screamed at him, I hate you, I'm leaving, and hung up. And I packed as many things as I could fit into my hands, carried my kids to the car, and drove to my mom's house. And when I got to my mom's house, like, I told my mom, bring the kids inside, I have have to go to work because my boss is about to fire me um if you know their dad comes onto your property shoot him for trespassing like I don't care just keep him away from my children and so I went to work and explained to my boss what was going on told him that I need to be home right now to make sure that he doesn't take away my kids and mind you like when I took my kids to my mom my mom had lived about 20 minutes out of town at that point so, you know, by the time I had gotten to work and a few town cops headed to my house trying to take away my children and the cops stalled it for as long as they could. But eventually they had to say, look, like he is the only parent here. He has a right to take these kids. So by the time I got home, my kids were gone and I was just devastated. So the next day, my mom took me to the police station and helped me file, finally file reports about all the abuse, the rapes, and everything that I had gone through. And I got a restraining order placed against him. And um, 
because of that restraining order, I got emergency custody of my children. And because I didn't come forward about what had been happening to me during the relationship, the DA basically just blew off my case and said that nothing happened because I didn't come forward when it happened. I waited until after I left. So I kind of feel like the justice system had failed me because this man should not be allowed to walk and talk and be able to see my kids. He should be in prison. But because I didn't come forward when it was happening, afraid that I would lose financial stability that he was giving me, I didn't, you know, he's still walking to this day with, you know, nothing on his record. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we share 50-50 custody of our older two children. Um, and I feel like that's unfair to not only myself, but my children. Like, I know I am their safe space. And I am, every day I'm worried, like, he did that to me, like, what's stopping him from doing that to my daughter and my son you know mm-hmm. so that's very hard for me as a mom yeah well and I think um it is really hard when you're in a situation like that um with an abusive partner I feel like so many people have the misconception that it's easy to walk away and like oh you could obviously see that this was you know bad for you or whatever why didn't you leave? Um, I think you brought up a good point in that you were not raised in a place that had a good example of a relationship. And that definitely skews what you think is appropriate and what's not. Um, It's also really hard. People don't really classify it as quote unquote rape if you're in a relationship with a person, but that can absolutely happen. Um, so, I mean, I feel like there's so many different factors that go into it. There's the financial factor, the legal factor. There's all of these other things that prevent you from leaving when you know you should. And I, I mean, I've been there. I've done that. I totally understand. But I do think it's a big conception, a misconception for a lot of people. I agree. And I, unless you've actually been in that situation before, you don't understand really just how hard it is to leave a situation like that and especially if you have children too like you can't just pick up and leave like that's not how that works and a lot of the times like you want to leave you so desperately want to leave but there's so many other factors in the way of that that you can't just leave yeah and most of the time most of us don't realize that it's wrong or what's going on until it's too late anyway Mm-hmm. Well, and I do think, I mean, you were 14 when you had your first baby. Your brain right. is not fully developed at that point. And he was much older than right. you and had taken advantage. And it's really hard for a young brain like that to, you know, not only be going through that and trying to work out that relationship and what's going on there but also taking care of a kid going to school like working like doing all of this other right. stuff too. exactly and I actually ended up I tried going to school for after I had Samantha I finished out my freshman year I had Samantha during the summer and I tried going back to school for a little bit and I just I couldn't with a newborn baby 
So then I tried online school at home. But between uh, infant child, um, online school and work, it was just way too much. And I was actually on the verge of killing myself because I was just so stressed, overwhelmed, anxious and depressed. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't doing what I needed to in the right at that time. So I decided the best decision for me and my child was for me to stop doing school so I can focus more on her and going to work. So, you know, as a 14 or 15 year old dropout, like I just got so much hate. I got bullied. I got ridiculed by pretty much everybody, but my own family, because my own family saw what I was going through. What was that that like for you, like on your confidence to like have to go through something like that when you're 14 years old? Honestly, like back then, I had no idea. But looking back on it now that I'm in a healthy marriage, like I have, you know, an amazing husband. He's an amazing father to not only our child that we share together, but my older two kids that are not his, like, oh, my goodness. I had, I didn't even realize just how bad I it was um, because at 14 and 15, I didn't know how to not only take care of myself. I didn't know how to take care of a child. So really, my mom was my hero during that time frame. And I, even though my dad was gone half the time, he was in the oil field. He was really my savior, too. Um, But my dad was also my savior from my mom at times because my mom and I haven't had a good relationship since I was like 10. And now we're at a point right now, um, we're at a good point in our relationship. Um, But there for a while, we just, we do not get along. And there are so many reasons for that. But um, your mom and my mom too alike in a lot of ways and two different in a lot of ways too. (laughs) Exactly. So we just haven't gotten along in so many years. And, you know, part of that was me being a teenager and a new mom. And part of that was, her and her alcoholism and her relationship with my father but she really helped me learn how to be a mom of a new baby um and she would watch Samantha while I was at work she would help me with my homework and help watching her while if I just needed a breather which was a lot I was only 14 like you know it's a given yeah but you know, it was just so hard for me. And I was bullied my entire freshman year for being the 14 year old pregnant girl. And, you know, everybody called me so many dirty names. And I don't even think they realized what actually happened and what was going on. Um, and, you know, everybody, you reap what you sow. So, yeah. It's those true. words did affect me, but now they don't because I know how good of a mom I've turned out and how good of a person I've turned out, and it doesn't stop me. Yeah, and I mean, I would like to take kind of a step back and talk about kind of maybe some of the things that had led into that point, too. I know we had talked a little bit about um, kind of the tumultuous relationship that you had to view at home 
um, and your mom's alcoholism and all of that stuff. Do you want to talk about kind of your childhood a little bit and kind of what you feel like may have kind of helped lead Led up to that? that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh boy. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> there's a lot. So, yeah, there's just so much. I don't even think there's enough for one pod. There's too much for one podcast, but I'll kind of sum it up a little bit. Um, so like I said, I am the second youngest of six total siblings. Um, I didn't really grow up with any of my older siblings. Um, they are my dad's children, not my mom's children. Um, sometimes two of my older siblings would come stay with us from a time period or two. But for the most part, it was just me and my little brother, Peyton. Um, we moved to Evanston when I was just starting preschool. Um, and my dad was working in the oil field. He was gone half the time. Um, I guess it was, you know, like a good, normal white picket fence family up until my mom started drinking heavy and that started when I was about seven or eight I want to say and from then on everything just took it you know took it downhill um I remember my brother and I not knowing where our mom was um, whether she was at a friend's house, whether she was at the bar or at work. Um, but sometimes we'd be by ourselves for a night or two while my dad was gone. And um, there were times when I would myself come stay at your house because mm -hmm. I Aunt Candy was my savior from my own mother. And I've talked to her about that many times, how like, you know, I felt there for a time that Aunt Candy was my second mom. Like, she was my saving grace since I was seven. Yeah. And that woman has helped me more than anybody knows. And she modeled how to be a good mom and a good wife for me. Whereas my mother taught me, she didn't teach me how to be a good person. She more taught me how not to do things, how not to be a wife, how not to be a mother. And she's... My mother is very narcissistic. She, I don't mean to be putting my mother on blast on here, but I've talked to some people about this and some people know my mom personally. And I felt that me and my mom will never really have a good relationship because my mom wasn't there for me as a child. And if you break that relationship early in life, you're never going to get it back. And I just felt... And I know how my siblings feel about this and my father, but she's always put alcohol before her family. And drinking makes everything so much worse and just heightens everything, heightens your emotions, makes you so depressed and mean. And that's how she was. Like, I didn't have an emotional bond with my mom because she was so overly emotional about everything. And she would treat us very poorly as children um whether that be not liking the dinner she made she would turn that around and be like oh sorry I'm such a bad cook and just make it about herself instead of realizing like oh my child doesn't like what we're eating would you like something else um so you know I actually have an eating disorder that I'm trying to get over because I was always forced to you know 
eat that what I didn't like. My mom would put a lock on the pantry um, when she was at work because if we were caught eating when she wasn't home, we would get in so much trouble and she would call it stealing. Stealing food in your own house. And that is one thing I will never do to my children. Mm-hmm. Um, especially not to that extent. Like, it just blows my mind. Um, and I then, feel like a big part of that with your mom um, growing up, just from knowing my perspective, was her putting her own traumas and insecurities onto you instead of dealing with them for herself. Which, as a mom now... I feel like that's something that I could never do. My traumas are my own and I am not going to push those onto my kids. Those are for me to deal with. Um, right. So I definitely have a really hard time <laughs> with that. No, I agree completely. Like there are so many things that I will never do to my children. Cause like you said, my traumas are my own. I will not let my thunderstorm get my children wet because it's not their fault what I went through it's not their problem so why should I turn it around and make it their problems um so going back to like Aunt Candy being my saving grace I remember um when I was 12 my mom and I had gotten into it horrendously like I was 12 years old and we had gotten into a fist fight and I had tried to run away and she broke my hand reaching for the doorknob broke my hand. I never got taken to the doctor's office. I only know that it was broken because the school nurse told me that it was broken. And my mom found out that I had told my friends that she broke my hand. And she made this whole big spiel about how she was going to jail, this and this and this. And then she told me that she is sending me away to um, a girl's school or something like that. And Aunt Candy was taking me. When in turn, Aunt Candy really just took me to one of Kai's track meets. And that was actually when we had visited you in Laramie that one time. Mm -hmm. But she was just so narcissistic and self-centered. And I just, I will never do that to my children. But um, I, you know, I do have a lot of trauma from my childhood. And I would actually like to talk about something that happened to me that I've never told anybody aside from my um, two of my siblings and my husband um when I was about seven or eight years old um a family member sexually assaulted me and you know as as a child like you should be able to trust your family members um and he was I think 18 at the time 17 or 18 at the time and I remember for the longest time that I remember feeling like it was my fault. Like I asked for it, like I'm guilty. So I kept this burden to myself until I was like 15 or 16 when I finally told my little brother because I don't know why sexual assault survivors feel like it's our fault, but I was so young. I felt like it was my fault. Like I was wearing a bathing suit. I asked for it. Like I was wearing revealing clothing. And now as an adult, like, I know for a fact it wasn't my fault that person should be held accountable. And I feel now okay to share my story because if somebody doesn't want to, how do I put this? 
if somebody does something bad to you and they don't want you to go around telling people what you did to what they did to you maybe they should have been nicer in the first place um so now I'm okay with sharing this um how do you feel that you know having that happen to you at a such a young age but b by someone you trusted impacted your confidence and kind of you know impacted your idea of self self-worth and like all of those things oh wow well I mean since it did happen so young after that point I remember I would never like to wear anything that was even remotely revealing um and anytime I would I would feel super anxious or guilty or like that was going to happen again because my skin is showing um because that event happened, it made me, I feel like it made me grow up a little bit faster and it made me hypersexual. Like, you know, I would, you know, have sex with anybody I could for the longest time as a form of self-harm um, because that started at such a young age and then it continued to happen to me once I was a teenager. So there for a while, um, after I left my kid's dad, I went through a month or two of just heavy, heavy drinking um, because I had no confidence. I didn't have confidence from the start. Um, and I would go through, I had this really heavy drinking phase. Um, I went through horrible self-harm stage. I had a few suicide attempts when I was a teenager. Um, and just now, barely at almost 21 years old. I am gaining my confidence. And that's because, I think that's because, you know, I have a good husband. Um, my parents are divorced. My dad's in a happy marriage. And now I'm finally seeing like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. I can do what I want to. I can wear what I want to without being screamed at and belittled. And, you know, I can be my own person, not a version of somebody else a version that somebody else wants me to be. So I'm just barely finding out who I am as a person. I think it's really important that you talk about the hypersexualization after something like that traumatic happens to you. Um, you know, I feel like that's another big misconception is if something like that happens to you, you never want to be touched again. And that can be true for some survivors but it's not true for all of them um hypersexualization is something that can come from it too it's just another form of trauma dealing with that trauma and like you said kind of that self-harm too um but there's so much that goes into it and it just drags your confidence down and when you have something like that happen at such a young age and then it's like you know, pretty soon after that, you get into this other abusive relationship, you're having a child at 14, and you're being ridiculed, ridiculed by that, like, I do think that it shows a lot of strength in you to be able to go through all of that at such a young age, and come out, and, you know, you're only 21, you've got so much life ahead of you, and now you are in a place where you can feel like you can actually develop that love and confidence and self-worth that you deserve. 
Right, exactly. Viral. I had that actually happen last night. I was watching a TV show and this Mm -hmm. actor came on the screen and he looked just like the person who had sexually abused me. Um, And all of a sudden I was like, you know, anxiety through the roof. My depression was starting to set in and I was like, what is going on? And I didn't even like put the pieces together until I like looked at the actor's face and I was like oh my god he looks just like him and I was like okay I'm gonna shut this off now because I can tell that that is a big trigger for me and not something that you would ever expect you're just like watching tv and hanging out and that pops up and it's like oh okay right right and you know I've been there too or certain smells will trigger something and like you said I've had a few actors that look just like my ex and it's just like watching that show will just give me huge amount of anxiety Mm -hmm. or sometimes something somebody will say whether they mean it in a wrong way or not like that will trigger something or Mm -hmm. somebody that I don't know touching me people don't realize how many things can become triggers after such a traumatic event like that yeah can you talk a little bit about moving from such a traumatic and abusive relationship and now trying to build a healthy relationship because I know for me personally that has been one of the hardest things that I've done is like rewriting all of those narratives from this past relationship and not putting them onto my healthy relationship now right and you're so right it is by far the hardest milestone I have ever done and like I said I'm only 21 so like a lot of people are going through this at your age or even older than that but me I'm going through it as like a teenager and early 20s and it is hard it is so hard and it took me a long time to get out of those default settings because like I said before I didn't have a healthy relationship role modeled for me as a child so then that whole ideology turned into my default settings and then it turned into all my other relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there's been times where I was the toxic person and I realized my faults and what I did wrong. And I looked at that and realized that's not what I want to do. That's not the person that I want to be anymore. So it took a long time and a lot of growing and a lot of self-realization And it also took a whole lot of realizing red flags in the early stages as well, because, um, you know, you can have a perfectly happy relationship in the beginning, and then later in the future, it's just toxic and abusive. So recognizing those patterns over a long period of time, and then realizing, okay, I recognize that this is a bad behavior now. This is going to continue and get worse in the future. And I would take myself out of those situations. And, you know, I would hop from relationship, relationship after relationship um, because I thought it was good in the beginning. And then it all of a sudden it turned not good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just I, it took so much self-healing. And people don't realize that um, growing, it takes so much out of you because you have to just rewrite all of your default settings, all of everything that you know, and change that. Because, you know, even though I was the abused 
in that relationship, I had to change myself to not repeat those same behaviors, not repeat those same patterns, and not continue to get into those type of situations anymore. So it was more self-growth than anything. And, you know, I'm thankful I found someone who also believes in self-growth and looking at, oh, I hurt my partner in this way. I'm going to change that so that I don't hurt them again. And realizing what I did bothered them, not going to do that again. I'm going to work on that so that this doesn't become a problem. I do think that's a big part of it too, is being able to feel safe enough in a relationship that you can communicate like, hey, you said this and it reminded me of maybe this bad experience, which made me feel this way. Like, can you not do that again? Because if you're not in a healthy relationship, you don't ever feel like you can even voice those things. So that communication is so big. Right. And you're exactly right. Um, Because in my past relationships, if I expressed a concern, if I expressed how this made me feel, um, it was automatically turned into an attack on that person. And they would take it so personally and turn it around and like, oh, well, you do this and I don't like that. And, you know, so I felt like I can never truly be heard without then becoming the bad guy in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would recognize that from, you know, the beginning of relationships and I would end it right then. But now, like with my husband, I, I am so safe to talk about anything with him, you know, whether it's a small issue or a big issue and it doesn't turn into a screaming match. And that is so much healthier than, you know, being turned into the bad guy and them victimizing themselves. Um, you know, so being, feeling safe, not only physically, but mentally in a relationship is the number one important thing. Cause like you can be safe physically, but if you're not safe to express your emotions, express your needs, express your boundaries in a relationship, that's almost as bad as being physically abused or just as bad in some situations. And people don't realize that like, just because he doesn't hit you doesn't mean it's not abusive. Yeah. So um, I think that's a stigma that needs to end. Yep. A hundred percent. I agree. So I feel like as a kid growing up, growing through all of this, whatever, you may have had like that, you know, bad teenager kid like thing put on you all of the time. Right. What do you wish people would have known, would have realized, could have helped with throughout those teenage years to maybe get you to the place that you are now a little sooner? Um, oh, there are so many things. <laughs> um, so <laughs> starting with my mother, you know, I was always labeled as the bad kid, the rebellious kid, you know, like, Oh, I just did. I was just so such a bad kid to my mother and all that. And now as a mother, I would never like nobody's a bad kid. Nobody's a bad kid. You just need to realize what they're going through. And instead of victimizing yourself in this situation, instead of being like, oh, I went through worse, 
just listen to your kid. Um, because I had so many needs that weren't being met. And because of that, I was labeled as rebellious and just a terrible teenager. When that wasn't the case, I was going through horrible, horrendous depression as a teenager. Um, I had a few suicide attempts. I was self-harming so, so much that, um, you know, I ruined so many clothes because of it. And I was ignored. So then I would find different outlets and sometimes those outlets would be harmful and I think that's why I got labeled as rebellious you know because I would sneak out of the house I would go party I ended up getting pregnant and because of that I was labeled as rebellious when in reality I just had so many physical and mental needs that were not being met you were a kid screaming for help (laughs) Yeah, I was a kid screaming for help and nobody was listening to me. And that is something as a mother, I will never do because like I said, nobody is a bad kid, but you are having a bad time. Um, And I actually recently got diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. And, you know, people think of bipolar as like, oh, you just like go through emotions and it's extreme outbursts of rage and it's not only that it uh it is so much like there's so much going on in your head and you can't just narrow it down to one thing so like you have your inner child that's screaming for help um you know your teenage self just like wanting to be heard and then you know just so much going on in your head that you can't quite pinpoint it to one thing and that's where the anger comes from is because there's just so much that is happening inside your brain. Um, And if I would have known as a teenager that I was bipolar, that would have changed so much for me. Um, And I think people don't realize what um, mental illness looks like in a child as well, because I was struggling so much with mental illness as a teenager, and I wasn't getting any help, whether that be from doctors, medications, my parents, I wasn't getting any of that. So then, you know, that turned into so many different having the extra hormones on top of that. Oh, my gosh. Right. And people don't realize like, when you don't know what a good outlet is, when you're not when your needs aren't being met, how quickly that will turn into drugs, alcohol, smoking, partying, all of that. Um, Because no, I wasn't a rebellious kid. It was just, I was needing to express myself and I didn't know how to express it safely. When you were in like a healthy and safe space, like coming over to my house with my mom and me and my brothers, you know, I always felt like, you weren't that rebellious kid that you were when you were at home because you had that safe space where you could let go of those emotions. You felt like your needs were going to get met, like all of those things. All you needed was that safe space to be able to express yourself. Right, exactly. Like I wasn't that rebellious, just horrible child that I was being played out to be. And so I always did feel safe at your house. That's why I was there for half of the time, you know, 
even when you were gone, you know, I didn't come over as much once you left for college. Um, but I still came over a lot because I felt like I could talk to Colton, I could talk to Aunt Candy, and I would be heard and acknowledged. And instead of like, oh, well, I had it worse, like, oh, it's not that bad as you're making it, it would be like, I'm sorry, you're going through that. How can I help? And that's why, you know, I loved being at your house because even though I didn't realize it then, you guys were my safe space away from what I was going through in my own home. And I've talked to Aunt Candy. I've talked to your mom about that so many times about how she was my saving grace, not only as a child, but as a teenager. And I still talk to her so much, even to this day. Every time I'm in the Valley, I go and visit with her and my kids just go and like pick a whole everything <laughs> out of her garden. And, mm-hmm. you know, it feels nice that she's not, she wasn't only a safe space for me, but she's a safe space for my children as well. And my kids just love her. <laughs> so, you know, extra, extra aunt. Yeah, an extra aunt, an extra grandma. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um I just I hate that I was labeled like that. Yeah. As a teenager. And and like I said, I feel like when you've got that label on you, it's usually because there's something else going on that people just don't want to look at and acknowledge um, for anybody that is kind of going through a similar situation as you, whether it be, you know, they've gone through sexual assault, they've been through an abusive relationship, they're going through a teenage pregnancy or their kid is going through a teenage pregnancy. What are some, you know, words of wisdom that you would give them? Oh, I have way too many. I could actually write a whole book about it and I think I might um but honestly the main thing would be don't just look at the front page of the book don't just look at the cover of the book because the cover of the book isn't going to tell you everything you need it's just a few words when there's this whole thick chapter book of other details that are important um and also like be there for your friends, be the support that they need. Instead of just listening to what other people have to say, be the support. Um, And if, you know, as a teenager who had a baby, I needed that support. Um, So find your group, find your tribe that is going to help you. Um, You know, whether that means leaving, finding that that safe, healthy space, or, you know, just reaching out And, you know, I'm just thankful that my mother was supportive during that time frame and she really did help me out. Yeah, just be there for your friends. Um, Don't listen to what everybody else has to say about somebody. If you want to hear something about somebody, go ask them yourself because you're only hearing this much of a story when there's a whole chapter book of other things that are going on. And honestly, just do the best you can with what you have given. Don't judge your personal experience and base that off of others. And what I mean by that is, like, don't discourage yourself. Don't belittle yourself and tell yourself it's not that bad. Other people have it worse. Because that's just, uh, that's so hard on yourself. Just because other people might have it worse doesn't mean that you don't have it bad in that moment. 
So don't judge your story based on somebody else's experience. Every story is different. What might be bad for me could not be bad for somebody else. And what's horrible for them might not be that big of a deal for me. So just take a step in their shoes. Take a look in their perspective, not just your own. And that's honestly the biggest thing that's helped me grow is looking at the bigger picture, just not, not just my view of things, looking at everything else and realizing, oh, this is what was actually the problem when I was only seeing that. So always look at the bigger picture, ask somebody else um, their side of the story, what they went through and how you can help them instead of just assuming. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for hopping on and sharing your story and chatting with me. It's so nice to get to do again. So I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me express my story. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Well, we all need to be able to feel like we are in a safe space to share our stories and feel validated in them. So I hope that that's what you got out of it. I definitely did. And I agree. Everybody just needs a safe space and a safe person to actually open up about things. Yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you love this episode, please let us know by submitting a review or sharing with the women in your life. We'll see you next time.